Welcome to the Financial Fun Podcast with your host, Tammy Johnston. This is where Tammy talks with business owner parents and grandparents about the interesting and important subject of money. We promise this to be an interesting and open discussion, as that's how we learn best. And now, here's your host, author of the Financial Foundations. Financial Foundations is a series of books to teach kids about money, goal setting, and living a balanced life. Find out more at financialfund.ca. Here's Tammy Johnston. First things first, I would like to thank all of my listeners that have subscribed and reviewed my podcast and invite you to subscribe and review if you haven't yet. I appreciate you helping us to get the word out and making financial literacy a safe and welcoming subject for kids and adults. Second, please check out my podcast website, financialfund.ca, where you will be able to access past shows, find out more about me and our guests, as well as purchase the beautifully illustrated Financial Foundations books that teach kids about money in a fun, healthy, and holistic way. Hello once again, and thank you for joining us for the Financial Fund Podcast. Today, our guest is Melissa Agnes. Thank you for joining us, Melissa. Thanks for having me, Tammy. So, Melissa, what is your business? What has you passionate and excited? Oh, what has me passionate and excited? My business is, well, my business does. Um, I am a crisis management advisor, keynote speaker, and author. And so kind of in a nutshell, high level, I help organizations become what I call crisis ready. Crisis ready means that the entire organization, every single member of the team knows what risk looks like, how to identify it and detect it, how to assess its material impact on the organization in real time, and then how to respond to it and manage it in a way that actually increases stakeholder trust and credibility in the brand rather than, you know, depreciating that trust and credibility. And in other words, I basically, I like to say I help organizations build brand invincibility because when you can do that, no matter what happens, if no matter what happens, you can come out of it in a way with increased trust and credibility in your organization. Well, then you are, you know, invincible to anything that may come your way. Well, that sounds very, very interesting. So how, how would that actually work? (laughs) In what sense? What do you like? Make that real for me, and I'll be able to give you a real answer. So, what would be an example of of why somebody would hire you? Okay, so the organizations that hire me are, and they they run the range from. I mean, you name the industry: private, public, government, and I've I've worked in it. They understand that they are not immune to risk. So whether we're looking at natural disaster that's beyond their control to um, terrorism, to workplace violence, to cybersecurity, to, um, you know, sexual allegations or misconduct by in the workforce, no matter what it is, or even just what we saw happen with a crockpot a few weeks ago when, I don't know if you saw it, but um, the TV show, This Is Us, we had this really wonderful five minute segment, uh, wonderful in, in the sense of just beautifully crafted storyline um, about how one of their main characters died. And the the way that he died was a generic slow cooker, a very old one, short circuited, engulfed the house in flames. And um, this character died of smoke inhalation. Mm. And then Crockpot woke up to a frenzy of emotional customers who love this show 
who were so emotionally compelled by the story and then realized, oh my goodness, we have a crockpot in our homes. We don't want our family to die. We don't want this to happen to our family. So they woke up to this frenzy that had taken place. The news had gone international and especially national. It was on, you know, morning talk shows and um, there were boycotts and people were threatening across the country or North America to throw at their crockpot machines. And so it can be any type of, I mean, I bring that up just to say how out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, that that's, in, that's insane. I'm, I'm not caught up on this as us, but I, I've heard a little bit about it, but that was people's response to Something shown on a television show? Well, and if you look at it, so, so you asked me, you know, what does it mean for organizations? It's, if you look at this scenario in particular, or not in particular, but as an example, uh, Crockpot could have easily said, this is irrational. People are being completely irrational. And they'd be right, but still. Yeah. Well, it was, but one of the crisis ready rules is that we can never overcome emotion with logic. So had they said this is irrational in the history of Crock-Pot, nothing like this has ever happened because our machines are designed and tested to not let this happen. They would have lost brand equity as a result. But because they were smart enough, they were crisis ready. They un- they knew how to detect it in real time. So they knew that something was happening. They knew how to assess its material impact on the organization. So they said this may be irrational, but for these people, for our customers, this is real. And if we don't respond in a way that is effective, we might lose these customers because whether it's true or not to them, it is. And we don't want to lose them. So and then they went a step further and they didn't just respond in a way that managed it. They actually they they took a really important step, which was to validate emotion because we can't overcome emotion with logic. So what Crockpot does was they or what they did was they came out with a response that said, our hearts are broken with you. We can't believe this happened to Jack, the character. Yeah. Um, and they so they validated those emotions. And then they came in with the logic and said, but we need you to know that this would never happen to your family because our machines, you know, for the last decades and decades of years, this is designed to not happen. And here's more information. And because of that early detection, because of the proper assessment and because of the effective response, Crockpot came out of it with even more love to the brand. So and that is what being crisis ready is. And that is what I help organizations become. Oh, and I, I, I like how you speak. Yeah, you can't overcome logic with emotion. And so many people, parents get all of this stuff because somebody's ask, acting irrational and they are. And then we try to deal with it with the logic without ever addressing their feelings. And then we wonder why it's not working. It'll never work. Yeah. It'll never work. And it's, it's, yeah, it's one of the crisis ready rules. Crisis ready is the name of my book. So it's one of my, my, my book's rules, <laughs> my rules that are in my book. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, and it's an important one to realize internally and externally. So what does that mean for your, you know, even your team members when something negative happens? Right. Are they prepared for that emotion and are they crisis ready for that emotion? Just like are you prepared to manage the emotion of your stakeholders externally when something happens? Oh, I, I like that. That ties into like absolutely everything, because as, as I tell people dealing with the the actual numbers of finances and and budgets and all of that stuff, that's easy. But if you don't deal with the emotions underlying it and, and how they got there and how they make their decisions and what needs are they trying to meet? They will go right back to it and you won't fix anything. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So 
how did you get into like it, it? It's very interesting, and I can see yes, gigantic needs with with TV and media, and like you said, natural disasters, and and down in the states, you never know when somebody's going to get shot. How did how did you fall into this? <laughs> I that's a good question. I um I realized. Actually, recently, about a year ago, I realized that I see the, well, we all see the world through our lens, right? We all see the world differently. We're all wired differently. But it happens, I think, often that we think that because it's normal for us, it's normal for everybody. And then it it struck me that not everybody sees risk (laughs) so prevalently the way that I do. It's a special gift. It's a special gift. (laughs) Well, I I don't know that it's a gift. As a child, it might have been, you know, I I think my sister would have, my little sister would argue with you on whether or not it was a gift or the (laughs) hinderer of her fun. Um, But yeah, so that's kind of the way my brain works is I see it kind of, it works in a pattern. I see risk everywhere. I see how to mitigate risk. That's the next place my brain goes. And then I see the opportunity in the risk or in the risk mitigation. I see the opportunity in the risk mitigation. And uh, I've been an entrepreneur for my entire adult life, basically, since I was 21. So I'd I'd call that my entire adult life. And um, about nine years ago, I was doing, I was a web strategist. I was helping organizations create, you know, social media branding and just strategies for their branding on social media and their websites and all of these aspects. Um, right at the time when brands were starting to say, hey, maybe we should be on social. This is like a thing we should do. And I remember one morning reading, you know, just catching up on my reading and it struck me of, oh my goodness, there's so much risk with this. And yet, why is nobody talking about it? And by talking about it, by addressing it, we could mitigate it. And then through its mitigation, there's so many opportunities. When something negative happens that's beyond our control, today we have the the capability, the advantage of communicating with those who matter most to our businesses directly in their pockets. So for me, I didn't understand why nobody nobody was talking about it at the time. And um, so I spent about a year just kind of devouring everything I could on the topic of crisis management with which up until that point in time, I didn't know existed. I didn't know that that was a field. It was a thing that, you know, organizations did or needed. Um, and so I just kind of on my free time, just devoured everything I could and right place, right time. I had a client about a year later call me. They were a real estate investment trust. They, I had just launched their website. And they call me very, very early in the morning. One morning, their um, their, VP call, their VP calls and says, our president is in the car with a prospective investor. The media is reporting that one of our buildings is about to explode. Our investors are going frantic. It's, it's not true. Apparently, this rumor started on Twitter. We have no idea what Twitter is, but we hear it's a digital thing. And since you just launched our website, we're hoping you can help us. So luckily for them, they thought about me because I had just, you know, this is the way my brain works. And I had just spent a year kind of just devouring everything I could. Um, so I went in, I had the media correcting themselves with, or yeah, correcting themselves within a half an hour. I had the right information going to investors who were not going to Twitter, but who were going to the website. So leveraging Twitter and streamlining it to the website. Anyways, long story short, the next day, the president of the company called and said, not only did our unit price not go down since yesterday, but it actually went up a cent. So thank you so much. And that was my moment of, okay, I can help. I can be of service. Organizations need this. They may not know that they need it yet, but I know that they need it. And what I did was young entrepreneur with very, very limited marketing budget. 
I launched a blog and I dedicated myself to blogging five days a week for a few years. Right place, right time. I was one of the only people in the world that were addressing these issues as as loud, loudly, as vocally and as um, proficiently as I was. And uh, I then therefore had all of these wonderful crisis management professionals that approached me and they said, basically, I don't know if this, you know, is a fad or a trend or if it's here to stay. I don't necessarily want to learn it because we're nearing retirement, but we're smart enough to know that our clients need you. Can we partner? And that was the launch of this profession for me. (laughs) I have to I have to ask a question. Were you a weird child? Well, I you I don't know. Can anybody answer that? Um, I don't think I was especially weird, but I also I never really fit in anywhere. Like I, I never really found my tribe, I suppose. But I think that that's probably true for a lot of kids. So I don't know that I was especially weird. Well, the re- the reason why I ask is so many because obviously you you looked at things very very differently even as a child, and so did I. And and I was always considered kind of weird for the way that I looked at things. And I'm thinking that was probably a thing for you. And then parents worry so much about, okay, well, my kid isn't normal or they're not doing things the way everyone else is. And how are they going to fit into the world? And I just love the fact that you, you took your weirdness as a kid and made it something that was great for you as an adult. One thing that I'm learning about myself, and it's so funny because I'm um, – you know, just the things that happen in my in my personal life, they it comes naturally to me. So I come from a very, very broken home. Um, I was there for my sister who needed help. And and even now, like going through a divorce and helping my ex-husband manage his emotions, my friends look at me and they say, Melissa, you're a crisis manager. That's what you do. And it wasn't until actually the last couple of months that I really said, I mean, I know that I'm a crisis manager. I know what I do from a professional standpoint. But I'm realizing now how how it's so ingrained in the person that I am and in everything that I've ever done since I was a kid. But because I'm very good at what I do, it's not noticeable. So I don't know that my parents ever realized that I was strange. They just had it easier because I managed the crises in the family without them realizing that I was managing the crisis in the family. So it's, it's interesting. It's fascinating for me to kind of realize just how ingrained this is in who I, it is who I am and how wonderful it is that I managed to, you know, bring it forth and help organizations and, and some world leaders, you know, do it. So it's, it, I don't know. I find it very fascinating. Oh, I, I, I think it is too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it, I think it is as well. So when, when you were a kid, like obviously you, you were quite mature for your age and stuff like that. Like when, when did you start discovering that like money was an important thing in life and, and it, that is a huge crisis thing for a lot of people? Like when did you start noticing it? Um, I think so I, we didn't have money. We really didn't. I mean, my mom to this day will say that juice was a luxury in our home. Like I grew up drinking water <laughs> and to this day, I don't drink juice. I, I drink water <laughs> or, you know, I don't eat sweets because I eat vegetables because that's what we had. Um, and when you have to prioritize, you hopefully take the healthy. Um, so I grew up without money. And then when I was 12, my mom was became involved with somebody who was very 
well off and self-made, um, very wealthy. However, I didn't like the way that he happened to use money to control people. Mm. So I've always had this very strange relationship with money where as an entrepreneur, I know the ups and downs of making it and, you know, having seasons and times where you don't make as much versus others. Um, I, but at the same time, I've never put, and probably to a fault, I've never put a huge value towards money itself as a result. I don't know if that makes any sense. Oh, no, it very, it very much does because the experiences that the kids have around money, especially if they are emotionally charged, affect absolutely everything going forward. And, and you took it a more positive way than a lot of people did. So, Oh, that's interesting to hear or good to know. <laughs> <laughs> I remember actually my mom used to say when I was a kid and she used to say it in as um, she meant it as an insult, unfortunately, but she would say if you were offered a million dollars or your freedom, you would choose your freedom. And where she meant it as an insult, I would go, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who wouldn't choose their freedom? Yeah, you can always make money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, which I, I mean, clearly it marked me. I still remember it to this day. So, if you could give ex- advice to kids going forward, what three things would you suggest that they it would be really important for them to learn about money? Earning it. So, what it takes to earn it, because I've seen adults that have never really had to earn and the impact that that has on their, their person, the person that they are um, in a, in a difficult way that makes their life more difficult. So I would say to earn it, to really know what it is to, you know, put time to making money and spending it, you know, and kind of having that relationship of, should I buy this sweater? Well, that's three hours of work. If I do, (laughs) I think that that's a good (laughs) thing for children to experience. First they put it on a credit card, then it's interest. And then it's probably four or five hours of work. Absolutely. And that's, and I mean, and I'm talking kid. I mean, I was um, 14 when I got my first job, so there was no credit card for me. Um, You know, so I kind of had to do that. And um, so that would be one would be to, you know, I guess earn it um, and to experience that. And then I guess too is, is really to kind of play with spending it, right? Like do that before you're of age to have debt that follows you, if that makes sense. Um, I think that that's something that I wish that I would have done or, or been taught. And the third thing advice is that our society kind of tells us that money buys happiness and I've seen over and over and over again that that is just so untrue. I don't know that you can actually tell that to somebody. They have to see it and experience it themselves. But I would wish that children would kind of learn that and know that growing up. I think that we'd have a different vision of our society and in our within our, you know, very privileged world if we knew that more. Well, thank you very much for taking time out of your busy day to be with us on the podcast. It was great having you. Thanks to you, Tammy. It's great chatting with you. Have a good day. Take care. Bye. Before we leave each other, I would ask all of you listening to please subscribe to and rate my podcast. A review would be most appreciated and feedback is always welcome. Whether it be a comment, future topic suggestions, and or questions you or your kids would like to have answered in the Ask Tammy column, 
on the financialfund.ca website. Please feel free to check me out on Facebook at Financial Foundations Children's Books, on Twitter at Financial Fund, and Instagram at financial.fun. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Financial Fund Podcast. Join Tammy Johnston again next week. For more information, please visit financialfund.ca.